0: Hello, and welcome to Strides Forward. This is Sri Louise Turner, your host and creator. And normally here, we share narrated stories about women long-distance runners. We'll return to our regular format in a couple of weeks, but here I want to share an episode of another podcast that I hope you'll love as much as I do. It's Hear Her Sports, hosted by Elizabeth Emery. Here, her sports features long-form, intimate profiles of female athletes and other women in the sports space who are breaking boundaries, speaking up, and living with power and confidence. Elizabeth introduces us to strong women who have become successful in their sport and far beyond. Over the five years Elizabeth has been creating Hear Her Sports, she's highlighted Olympians, world champions, collegiate stars, rising champions, and women who have made sports their life through coaching, reporting, leading, advocating, building, healing, and organizing. New shows drop every other week on Thursdays, and you can learn more at hearhersports.com. And of course, you can listen on all your favorite apps— and you can follow along on social media. The handle is always at hearhersports. They're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Some of the reasons I love Hear Her Sports so much is because, first up, Elizabeth is a great interviewer. And she is genuinely led by her own curiosity and deep interest in women's sports. Also, her variety of guests is absolutely incredible. She really knows how to bring us into the passion that these women have for whatever they're pursuing. Through Hear Her Sports, I have become a fan of so many sports and so many women who I didn't know anything about or I didn't know much about, including the woman whose interview I've chosen to share with you, Sabre Fencer Dagmara Wozniak. I picked this episode because Dagmara speaks to issues and challenges that are common to so many women athletes, and I loved learning about her sword fencing journey. I didn't know a thing about sword fencing, and now I'm a fan. And I get to follow up my fandom by watching Dagmara compete at the Olympics, because since this episode aired originally, Dagmara has made the Tokyo team. So please now enjoy the episode and remember to cheer Dagmara on at the upcoming games.
1: Hello, listeners. This is the Female Athlete Podcast, Hear Her Sports, and I'm your host, Elizabeth Emery. I am so thrilled that you are here for another episode of Motivation from a Female Athlete. If you want to follow along with a podcast via email, sign up for the newsletter at hearhersports.com. And please tell your friends about any of the episodes you particularly like. Word of mouth has always done an excellent job of increasing listenership. For today's show, we have Olympic fencer Dagmara Wozniak. Dagmara is a two-time Olympian, London in 2012, and Rio in 2016, where she won a team bronze medal. And now after recent surgery, she is very actively training and competing to make the Tokyo 2020 Olympic team. Dagmara is also a 2018 Pan Am Championship gold medalist, a 2015 Pan Am Games gold medalist, and Dagmara also speaks at schools about body positivity and determination. Let's get on to the show and welcome Dagmara. Welcome, Dagmara. It's really, really terrific to have you here. Thank you. If we could, I'd like to start with your injury and surgery. Can you describe what happened?
2: Yes. So the surgery that I had to go through was kind of like a corrective thing. It's just, unfortunately, a lot of chronic issues throughout the year. So it wasn't like, you know, a bad fall or a one-time thing. It was just overuse injury, I think is the best way to describe it. And eventually, no amount of rest or rehab could really help alleviate the pain. And we had to decide on surgery. And what was the surgery? It was on my ankle. It was a osteotomy uh, where they actually took out, I think, a small slice of my heel bone and moved it forward in order to allow the Achilles to not have so much pressure on it.
1: Is this sort of a normal fencing
2: type injury? Mm, I think the Achilles definitely takes a lot of wear and tear, especially our back leg, because we're constantly in flexion. However, I think this just... It's probably the first fencer that might have done it. I don't Mm. think it's a common injury to have. But we do have a lot of Achilles issues as well as uh, knee issues. But I think this is the first time someone necessarily had this.
1: (laughs) What was it like being injured, especially since the Tokyo qualifiers are coming up?
2: I mean, obviously not ideal. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, that I think that's just the life of an athlete. And if we expect everything to kind of just be, you know, easy peasy and, um, you know, go with the flow, then where is the glory in that? I mean, obviously, winning is great, but I would feel like the true embodiment of being an athlete is, you know, picking yourself up after hard times, be it a fall or an injury or, you know, or bad results. So obviously, like I said, it's not ideal timing, but I knew that this is unfortunately something that I needed to go through. And it can also give me an opportunity to strengthen other things.
1: Well, it seems like you bounce back really quickly.
2: I would hope that I would bounce back. I mean, I definitely have been, I guess you could say, back at practice and even in competition sooner than was expected. However, you know, I I kind of set a goal for myself and made it a priority to get back as soon as possible. Am I in the best shape? And, you know, in terms of injury level? um, No, but like I said, that's that's the whole process and the fact that I've been able to be back out there and fencing and, and practicing. Yeah, it just, it's, uh, it feels good. What did you notice that you lost in that time away
1: when you were not training and you were recovering?
2: That's actually a hard thing to say. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't be able to say like what I've lost. I think I gained a lot more than losing. Oh, um, what did you gain? I think, you know, perspective, being able to kind of look at the plan and adapt as well as, you know, recreate some things or improve some things, um, having that time to kind of really mentally gear myself up for this whole experience. Whereas, you know, if you're in the grind every day of pushing yourself past, you know, your max physically, mentally and emotionally, it's kind of hard to take that time to say, okay, maybe something's not working and I need to revamp the plan because you know you need to get back to practice you need to eat you need to do this you need to do that there's a lot of obligations as an athlete and this kind of gave me a time to reset almost because I've never really had a truly long break i mean this put me out for pretty much 5 6 months so there was, there was a lot of self-reflection and <laughs> uh, uh, not too much Netflix, but yeah, so I, I think I gained a lot as opposed to losing. I mean, yeah, I didn't go to the competitions that the other girls were able to go to, but I'm still in a good position to you know do some damage and I think that that's I guess that's what counts <laughs>
1: yeah that's so interesting that's interesting perspective
2: because you're right athletes do spend
1: so much time just sort of you know in the day-to-day grind That's fascinating so what were you doing during those five and six months
2: Well, I thought I would be doing a lot of, you know, Netflix and chill. But I think after day two, sitting on the couch (laughs) after the surgery, I'm like, I'm not going to last. And my boyfriend's telling me, you know, this is like day one, day two. And I'm like, yeah, this is I got to do something. So going from a very, you know, go, go, go lifestyle to literally zero was that was a very difficult thing to kind of go through. You know, even something as simple as like going to the bathroom or cooking myself breakfast, It seemed like climbing, you know, a huge mountain. So things like that were pretty difficult. But you know, there was there was some reading, there was some watching inspirational movies. Obviously, I got back into PT very quickly, only a week or two after surgery, going into the city for physical therapy and getting back into it in terms of making sure the swelling's down and, and my range of motion is getting better. So I don't, you know, stiffen up and cause m- more setback than there needs to be. hmm. And you
1: said that you, during this time, you also gained a lot of perspective about possibly sort of the bigger picture plan.
2: Did you make any changes to your training? I would say right now, all in all, I have to train differently. I still can't necessarily run.
0: Sure. So,
2: in terms of even a warm up, it's completely had to be revamped and changed in terms of how do I prepare myself for a practice even building the stamina to stay in for full practice. So there, there's been building blocks that I've had to kind of go through in order to even get to, you know, the nitty-gritty full-time practice amount, making sure I'm warming up differently. There's more exercises that I need to do in order to prepare my body for what I'm about to put it through. You know, even on a nutritional level, things have been adjusted, making sure you're getting the proper vitamins. Uh, sleep has definitely... Uh, been uh, the most trouble because of the pain. Unfortunately, there was a lot of disruption in my sleep cycle. But getting that back to a very regular, I guess you could say, you know, pace been very difficult, but finally have been able to lock that down.
1: That's great. That's great. How did you stay positive and focused during all this time? Because I know it's so easy to, I don't know, wallow in (laughs) self-pity. (laughs)
2: Right. (laughs) Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are still bad days, but I think it's just a matter of like what you do afterwards. I mean, we're human, we're allowed to feel sad or overwhelmed or even defeated. But I think what's really important is that next step that you take. And that's, you know, shaking it off or analyzing it and saying, okay, I think this, but what's the reality of it? So more of like a stop thought therapy bringing back what is realistic and what is actually going on, you know, I'm starting from scratch. I can't do this. Okay. So while I'm not starting from, you know, zero, I have a lot of experience under my belt. So, you know, I've been through two Olympic games already and I've been through injuries before, even though this was my first surgery, I've gotten myself back and I can do this. So I think it's the talk that you give yourself post feeling, bad to kind of shake it off and put one foot in front of the other and I think if I tried to think about qualifying or getting like you know every time a competition was coming around if I really focused on that then I probably I don't know how positive I could have stayed but taking it you know day by day week by week that was kind of my focus you know. What was going on in that point in time? You know, the pain has shifted so much in terms of where it is, how it feels, even me walking. So I had to focus on, you know, the smaller things in order to kind of get myself through it.
1: I've been thinking a lot about limits lately, and it sounds like you've done a really good job at sort of working within your limits, you know, knowing them and doing what you can given those.
2: Yes. I I think we just need to be realistic. I mean, obviously I want to get back into it and get back into shape, but I mean, me going to run for 10 minutes, you know, that's not realistic. So I can't get upset about that (laughs) because that's not, you know, part of my workout or even if that was before, I need to adapt to what's going on with my situation. And I think that when you can achieve you know those little goals then it kind of puts things in perspective and you say okay like I am not necessarily limited myself but I'm being realistic in what I can do and what I can't do and once that has been maximized then we can push it then we can go to the next level
1: Right, and I I do want to point out that very recently you placed seventh in a a competition, so it's not like you're sitting on your <laughs> rear end not doing yeah. anything.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was it was a great experience. I mean, it was my first real competition back, and it was there were a lot of ups and downs during the day. But I just, you know, I I tried not to put expectations and I just had to first see what my body is capable of. Um, I wasn't necessarily sure how it was going to take the competition and and the load and all that. And then the concrete floors, you know, that definitely didn't help. So I think it was not even testing the water. I threw myself in there. (laughs) But figuring out like, okay, what are my physical limitations in terms of that day?
1: Right. So let's talk a little bit about the kind of fencing you do. Why did you choose Sabre?
2: Why did I choose Sabre? I didn't necessarily choose Sabre myself. I remember when I started fencing, I started off Epe. And then my coach kind of said, Well, you know, I think you're a little too aggressive for Epe. Let's try to put you in Sabre and see how you do. And I mean, that was really very early on when I started. So, made the change pretty quickly. And yeah, I just kind of stuck with it ever since. I didn't ask questions when I was a kid. My parents told me do this, so I kind of did it. I just found something that I liked. I did karate before that. I did some gymnastics. And when they were like, hey, we're going to do this. And I'd be like, okay. you know. And then they took me to a fencing class. And I was like, Okay, I have to kid other kids and they're like, yeah, and I'm like, okay, that's fine, you know So kind of fell into it and it wasn't a matter of like I was in love with it And I was so captivated by what it is It was something to do and I liked being active and I just stuck with it
1: So saber is more aggressive than the other the other kinds
2: Maybe not necessarily more aggressive, but in terms of how it happens We have to establish the right of way foil has that too. Epe, you can kind of uh, play the time out a little bit longer and then you strike. But with Sabre, it's like, it's a game of war. I need to cover more ground. I need to show the referee that I am the aggressor. And if I hit you faster and I've covered more ground, that shows that I'm the aggressor. So that's me winning the right of way, me winning the attack. So there's that aspect of aggression, I I would say.
1: I've talked a lot about women and aggression on the podcast because sports is a really great place and one of the few places that women can be aggressive. Is this something that you think about being aggressive and having the opportunity to do that in your sport?
2: I mean, it definitely uh, gives me the opportunity to be aggressive. I just hate that there's like, I don't know, some kind of negative connotation about that. I mean, you know, when you see female like tennis players like slamming the ball and letting all that aggression out it's like ugh, like why is she grunting and I'm like because she's like I don't know she's in it she's she's serving hell you know like (laughs) I mean so it's the same thing with you know saber fencing everyone's like why are you always yelling and I'm like because I guess you can't explain the feeling you get of that tension that builds up and you just need to let it out and sometimes it comes a little bit more forceful because, you know, you're trying to show that you're the aggressor, but I don't know. It seems so natural. Even if I play, like, volleyball, I'm, like, grunting and all over the place. I've been told that I'm a little bit too intense, but I find common ground with other athletes, other fencers, like when we play sports together, that competitive nature comes out, and it's something to be appreciated, and I do feel that, you know, athletes, at least... Most of the successful and strong athletes that I've seen, female athletes, have carried that into their everyday life in terms of what they do, their public speaking or like the the things that they go after. It just shows that they're in it and they're aggressive and they're not afraid to show that they feel like they're capable and strong, which I think is amazing.
1: Yeah. And I love I love that phrase. They're in it. I think that's that's very apt. Yeah. Terrific. What makes a good fencer?
2: What, What qualities? What makes a good fencer? I think someone who can capitalize in the moment. There's a lot of, you know, oh, I could have done this, I could have done that, but I think what separates top athletes from the rest is people who don't have that conversation afterwards but can manage that within seconds when it counts the most so it might be that they're down or that they're just crushing someone what's what's the next thing that they're going to decide and and solving that problem and being the person who's on top that to me makes a very successful fencer. I mean, you have obviously, you know, skill and tactics and speed and all that stuff, but stronger, faster, harder doesn't make you necessarily a champion, especially in this sport. So I think people that really capitalize on that moment of right here, right now, I'm making the right decision to destroy you <laughs> is, uh, is what separates the best from the rest. Are you
1: good at making decisions off the, I don't know, outside of
2: fencing? <laughs> uh, I think so. I mean, I, I think that there are some moments where there's a lot of self-doubt. But, you know, I think fencing has definitely taught me how to be a stronger representative of myself and what I stand for. I'm I'm more on the quiet side. <laughs> at least I would think so. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things that don't, uh, I guess you say, distract me. When I'm out there, I'm just trying to focus on that. And I like that my life centers around how can I make myself better? And not just in fencing, but other things as well.
1: Sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about your training. What are the important components of your training?
2: Well, right now, definitely an important component is rest and recovery. You know, unfortunately, I'm not 18 anymore. Um, so <laughs> so those It does make a difference. Oh, it makes a huge difference. Now I know what my mom was talking about, but... <laughs> No, I mean, I think just in terms of the extra mile, not only am I pushing my body to, you know, do things that it's not normal to do, but also I'm still healing. And that is, I think, what I need to also focus on the most. So there's definitely, you know, pushing the limits when it comes down to these next two months for me to kind of get myself back into it or, you know, get myself to the top. Uh, ready for the next competition but also there's you know getting adequate sleep and, and hydrating and all of the things like that I mean I'm practicing in the city about four to five times a week and I would like to eventually up that but right now I'm trying to again not cause more problems than <laughs> than I already have right now and not you know and uh, angering anything or the injury that I have now or not injury but you know post-surgery And then there's also one on ones with my coach. There's um, watching inspirational documentaries that I think are very helpful because they really put you into, you know, that competitive mindset like, okay, like I can do this.
1: What's the last inspirational documentary you watched?
2: Oh, Lindsay Vaughn. It is amazing. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, I watched it and I want to watch it again. I watched it while I was in North Carolina for the uh, actually, no, Salt Lake City when we were there for a world cup i had to pull out because last second really started feeling a lot of pain and i just didn't trust the the ankle to hold up but watched it about one or two times there and i constantly think about it i think that it is a very powerful story what Lindsey Vaughn went through and, and I can kind of relate. I mean, I'm not on the top like she is, but in terms of you know how athletes want to finish their career, be it if I finish this year or in you know in the next four years, it's pretty much the last leg. So I think it's uh, it's very powerful. and I'm just thankful that she was able to kind of open her heart.
1: That's great. I'll put that link in the show notes. What about strength training or anything like that? Are you doing that?
2: Yes, strength training is uh, pretty much uh, every day. I try to focus on different body parts, I'm lucky that My strength coach is also my boyfriend. So even when we're at home or talking about stuff or we're trying to adjust stuff or, you know, we see how my body responds and then we kind of kick it into high gear the next day, we're still working with some impact stuff, some jumping, but using pain as a, a factor of how hard we can push.
1: Sure. You mentioned or you talked a lot about recovery and when I was getting ready for this interview, I saw that you are using, I think, the whoop monitor. And oh I, yeah. And I had never heard of that. So, can you talk about that? I don't want to do a product endorsement, but
2: I'm just completely fascinated. The thing is, I am all for product endorsements, <laughs> but but things that I actually try and and like. So, like everything that I've ever, you know, talked about, it's something that I've used and I've researched and I stand by it. And the whoop what's awesome about it is that it looks like a watch, but it's a bracelet. And it tracks your resting heart rate. Also, while you're sleeping, it tracks how much you sleep. You have like a couple of questions when you wake up, you answer them on your phone with the app profile. And, you know, you kind of say like, do you feel energized when you wake up? Do you feel rested? Do you feel tired? Do you feel sore? Do you feel slightly sore? And then it asked, you know, did you have some drinks before bed? Did you have caffeinated drinks? Did you work on a screen? Did you read? Did you share a bed? And then it kind of, you know, I don't know necessarily how accurate, but I've been using it as almost like a guideline. And then it tells you, you know, how much load you've taken in or how much stress you've put on your body. And then taking into account how much you've slept. And then it says if your body is prepared for strain. So there's been times where... You know, I wake up and I feel super sluggish. And, you know, the first thing you would say was like, oh, shit, I, like, I don't think I'm going to go to the gym. Like this doesn't feel good. I might be getting sick. But then, you know, it's told me like despite you might not feeling well, your resting heart rate is it's able like you're able to go to the gym and take the strain even though you don't necessarily feel capable. Then there's some days where I did not recover well. And, you know, it tells you, like, get them to the green. That's kind of like their theme. Obviously, the higher it is, the more green it is. And midway is like yellow. And then when you're in the red, you know you've done something wrong. So even having like a glass of wine or something like that to kind of unwind, you know, that's impacting your your recovery. And, you know, yes, they say like antioxidants and stuff like that. But I think this just kind of rules out stuff you're not leaving anything to chance. So, you know, you know that, okay, having this or having that, or maybe I didn't get enough sleep, now I've impacted my recovery. And if you have a long streak of doing that and your performance goes down, then you can kind of tell, okay, this is where I've messed up. And for me, I initially got it because I wanted to see how much deep sleep I was getting throughout the night because I definitely have had a lot of disruptive sleep for Unfortunately, several years now, but it became my focus. And I said, okay, how am I gonna how am I gonna switch this? And then because it's on you all night, um, why we're 24 seven, and I make sure like the battery never dies, I get a good reading of what my body is going through. So I mean, it's little things. Again, I don't know how super accurate it is, you know, it, it does act as like a heart rate monitor. And it can tell like when my heart rate goes up when I'm at practice, and then it says like an activity has been recorded. So then you can go in like, hey, I was practicing, hey, I was uh working out here. So I don't strictly go buy it, but I definitely use it as a guideline to kind of help what my recovery and my training looks like.
1: Do you use also a heart rate monitor?
2: I don't use a heart rate monitor. I wanted to, but then once I got this, I was like, even if this is not hundred percent accurate, it's just a good guideline to go by. So it's consistent with what it shows. so you know I, I just decided to use that right. Does it feel a little big brotherish? Not at all. You know, I, I, I'm not, you know, people are always watching. <laughs> Let's just be real. Yeah, I mean, that's true. We don't need to get political, but, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I think that there's a lot of upside to what technology can do. I think the fact that, you know, it's recording. So be it if you're recording into a daily journal, you know, on your computer or in your notebook, like when you see the facts or when you see the progress in black and white then it can kind of give you a better idea of how, how can you make changes. So if I'm going to practice and I feel sluggish all the time and I see that I'm not getting, you know, not even five hours of sleep a night, it's like, oh, well, that's a huge thing that I can obviously change and probably get some kind of result. But if you're not aware of what's going on, then like how can you make any kind of adaptations or any kind of, you know, changes to, to what you're doing?
1: Right. I also like that it aggregates things like the lack of sleep and the drinking wine and whatever else is a strain.
2: Right. And I mean, you know, you, you might say, oh, well, you know, I've been drinking a glass of wine for, you know, three years now. And it's like, well, maybe that's been something that it's a small factor. But, you know, it's like that extra spoonful of sugar that you can take out of your diet. You know, it's the other aspect of right. being an athlete. Right. Do you do mental training? I try to. I'm not 100% as consistent as I would like to be, but there is uh, two apps that I use. Well, one of them is like recordings from a sports psychologist, I guess you could say, and I've listened to his stuff like right before practice. And you know, visualization definitely helps. I feel like when I listen to music, I visualize like a movie montage of my life. (laughs) <laughs> it's the, the soundtrack to what is Dakmara Wozniak. And sometimes, you know, I imagine myself like at a competition or a workout and I can see myself like moving the way that I want to. And then there's also, you know, meditation, been doing some positive affirmations at night. So things like that. I mean, and then just, you know, day to day life, trying to be more positive and kind of take it day by day. Right.
1: Fencing is such an individual sport. How do you maintain your perspective and your mental stamina and sort of just stay focused on your goals?
2: Um, <laughs> uh, how does someone work for, you know, JP Morgan and, you know, bring in their checks that they do better than everybody else? You know, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, I guess, a really general way of saying it, but just like how anybody goes in to kind of, you know, represent yourself and trying to get accomplishments based off of that. It's the same thing. I mean, it's interesting because fencing, you know, one day we're fencing individual and then the next day we're fencing a a team event. So, you know, one day you're my enemy, the next day you're my colleague or my partner, my supporter. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's definitely a challenge to wear those two hats, especially when it's literally a day apart. But I mean, all in all, I think that this is what I do. This is what I love to do. And I know it's an individual sport. But at the same time, I know that my success is my own. And whatever is not working, I have the power to change that myself.
1: Oh, nice. Nice. What are your next steps to make the Tokyo Olympic team?
2: my next steps are to continue training getting back into better movement patterns as well as you know better shape and continuing the things that i've done that have helped me heal and really prepare for this you know two competitions that i've been to now and yeah and just kind of stay in it stay motivated and stay hungry are there qualifying events Yes, so we've already done about two qualifying events. I was not a part of those. The NAC, where I had placed seventh, was a qualifying national competition. Then we just had a qualifier in Montreal. Unfortunately, that didn't go very well for me. Now we have about a little less than two months of a break, and then we will be traveling to Athens, Greece, and then a training camp in Paris, competition in Belgium, and then the last one in Korea. So there's three competitions left to attempt to qualify.
1: So these next two months are going to be really important for you?
2: Very, for yeah. various reasons, and I'm ready for it. Cool, cool.
1: What do you get from competing? Why do you like it? I
2: assume you like it. I do. What do I get from competing? I think it's the, the whole... You know, you you work towards something and it's almost like putting together an art project and then bringing it to the gallery where people can kind of not be amazed at your beauty, but, you know, just kind of see like the technique and work that's been put in. So it's the same thing, like you work really hard and when it goes well, you're showing people what you've been working so hard for. You know, like sometimes people say, oh, this person is really moving well this time. I can bet you 99% of the time it's because they probably put a lot of emphasis on that at home at practice. So I think it's that all in all, putting all that work and effort and blood, sweat, and tears into your final project piece. And, you know, there's the fencing that you have over your career, there's the fencing that you have at the Olympics, and then there's like the smaller World Cup appearances that you do and in, in the competition that you can show, you know, what you've been doing or what you've been working on. I get a kick out of that. You know, obviously, winning definitely feels good, but winning well feels good. I don't want to win because everyone else is subpar or not feeling well or everybody has the flu. I want to be the winner because I've outsmarted you and I was the better person that day. Right. I love that.
1: Winning well. That's awesome. Cool. Do you think about what comes after 2020?
2: I do. I mean, it's kind of hard not to. Like I said, I feel like I'm in, you know, the last leg of my career, either if it's this last year or if it's another four years. I mean, I love being an athlete. And if I can, you know, milk that for as long as my body allows it, then I would love to do that because not many people have this opportunity and not many people even have the opportunity to compete at the level that I've competed at. So the fact that I've been able to keep myself up here is, um, you know, it's uh, so definitely something that I have to be thankful for. But I have been, you know, dabbling in public speaking and talking to, you know, younger generations. And I feel like there's a lot that I can contribute, not only in the sport of fencing, but also, you know, generally to other sports as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I have some career opportunities, but I would not like to disclose them yet. (laughs) (laughs) It's a work in progress, but do you feel old? No, I don't, I don't think I feel old. Okay. I feel like I still haven't done everything that I want to do, even in fencing, even in life. Like I, I'm very hungry to keep moving forward. And I think I'll be nervous when that date comes where I'll finally say like, okay, can me the cane. I'm, I'm not doing this anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope there's something in between the Olympics and the cane. Hey, I hope so too. <laughs> You talked about visiting
2: schools. What has that been like? It's such a rewarding experience. I mean, there's definitely times where, I don't know, it's kind of, I'm not one to gloat and say, you know, oh, I'm an Olympian. But I know what it's like to come from, you know, a small school, kind of not in a big city and small town where maybe like not a lot of things happen and kind of feel the like, am I good enough to do this? You know, like immigrant parents and kind of growing up where, you know, you work hard and that's when you'll be, you know, I guess you say repaid in terms of the things that you can achieve. It was a very like, I almost want to say like play it safe type of mentality and you know just keep your head down and do the work and I I know what it feels like to kind of be stuck in that I don't know if I can make it out there um I don't know if I can I can do it but to reassure so many kids that like it is possible to do it as well as you know I've been told a lot of negative things when I've been growing up that I'll never make a team I'll never make another team I'm too big for this you know, like, why did I even think that was possible? All those negative things, you know, despite me taking them in, and, and it, you know, really stinging, I still think I somehow just kind of locked it down somewhere. And, you know, persevered. And maybe it doesn't seem like big goals to people. But for me, it was something that, you know, if I had listened to them, I definitely would not have, I would not be where I am today. And I don't want kids to feel that way and I know what it's like to then hear all those negative things you say and then internalize them and then you start saying them to yourself and that's the last thing that you need you know you're supposed to be your best friend you're supposed to be the person that you know lifts yourself up so when that person's gone what do you have left And, you know, when I even have like, you know, those one or two students that kind of stop me afterwards and say like, you know, I can't tell you how much like I loved hearing your story and like this happens at home or this is something that I've been struggling with, then all it takes is just to kind of feel like you inspired one person. It's so powerful.
1: Sure. When were you told that you wouldn't make a team?
2: I definitely was told that I wouldn't make a team when I was trying to qualify in 2008. Mm. Um, So I I got the spot as a replacement athlete. And then, you know, I know a lot of people were like, yeah, well, she qualified as a fourth, but like she's not going to fence. Like, why is she? And then, yeah, when, you know, the moment happened, my team actually got bronze. And because I didn't compete, I wasn't allowed to receive a medal, you know, nor was I really labeled as an official Olympian. But I was sad, you know, like there's Mm -hmm. there's things you can mentally prepare yourself for. But then when they happen, like it still hurts. Right. And, you know, I was upset and people were like, why is she so upset? You know, and then it was a matter of qualifying for London. And they're like, yeah, maybe she qualified in 08, but like she's not really going to qualify now. And it's like people always find a reason to talk. And I have to say, like the best person that kind of put it into, I guess you could say, the right way to in a nutshell, is Brene Brown when she says, you know, if you're not in the arena with me and you're sitting on the sidelines, then you have absolutely no, you know, merit to judge me and say, you know, like judging from the sidelines. Right. And I think that that's exactly what it is. If you you don't understand what goes into trying to qualify for a team or even someone wanting it that bad because you've never even attempted to do something like that. And it doesn't even have to be qualifying for the Olympic team. Someone trying to get a job that's like completely seems out of reach. But those people that sit there like, oh, she's never going to get that. Why did she think she was going to get this? Oh, she wanted to get this job. That's not going to happen for her. And it's, you know people who have played it safe in their life are probably the first to say, you know, someone can't or won't. This goes back to what you talked about in the beginning of just being in it. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's all you got to do. And you got to support the people that are trying to, to, to do something. At one point, everything that is great, everything great that has come out in life, in medicine, in technology, in sports is is started off with people saying it's not possible and it's never going to happen. And then lo and behold, the critics are wrong.
1: Right. Do you talk to girls about body image? You, you mentioned that people have said that you were too big.
2: Yes, I've definitely talked to girls about body image. And I feel like that's something I might touch upon, you know, in my Instagram, because it's like my way to kind of relate and I have to say, like, the body positivity movements that have been coming out, it's it's something that's very powerful. And, you know, I can relate to that. I've been told that I'm <laughs> overweight my whole life. And every time it's like, you know, I might get a little bit heavier. And maybe I'm heavy now, but I wasn't heavy before. And And, you know, so many people told me so many negative things before that. I think I'm an advocate for saying that I am... Struggling with, you know, the way that I look and accepting myself, but it's something that I try to appreciate every day and I don't have to look a certain way to be successful or to be loved. You know, I have an amazing boyfriend. I, you know, have amazing family and friends. Being skinny is not going to bring me happiness. But, I mean, are there things that I would like to improve? Yes, but I look at it as, you know, my body is a machine, so how can I make it run more efficiently? Not, what do I need to do to make it look better? That doesn't mean I'm going to perform well. So, for me, performance is more appealing than the aesthetics. And it's great to have, you know, role models. Like, I've always looked up to someone like Ronda Rousey, you know, when she was really in it, and like Serena Williams. Like, these are women that are so just... It seems like they don't give any kind of bleep um, for what people think, you know, so I appreciate having strong role models like that, that, you know, appreciate themselves and and are not being torn down by like what people have to say, you know, even like supermodel like Ashley Graham. I mean, I don't think it should be an issue, but I mean, I am shocked how much it comes up. And, you know, even in the fencing world, there's a lot of young girls that have come up to me to ask, you know, how do they deal with someone saying this about them? Or how do they deal with someone saying that they need to look a certain way? And, you know, it breaks my heart. Um, yeah. I, I, I wish it was something that would just kind of like phase out and would not be relevant anymore because I know, you know, how I can put myself through feeling horrible about being, you know, a certain size. The last thing I want is someone who's like 13, 14 to to feel that way. You know, when you're older, you have a way of kind of saying like, okay, maybe I'm not really happy about this, but the realistic, you know, situation is okay. like I I can work on it. And that's something that I'm going to change because I want to change myself. You have that kind of, you know, self-appreciation and self-reflection, but it's also like a feeling of self-control. But when you're 13, 14 and you're still trying to figure out who you are, the last thing you want to deal with is what people think and how you should be a certain way because of, again, society or, you know, whatever your coach says or your parents or, you know, whatever the external influence is coming from. Or now Instagram. I mean, Instagram has really made so many people depressed. And I mean, it could be such a powerful tool for so many things. But I hate the negative side of it, you know, where we can edit our photos and there's no way to tell and, and people are idolizing these unattainable aesthetics that just don't need to be there. That's not what's important in life.
1: Right. Sports is a great way to, as, as you said, to think of your body as a machine and not worry so much about the aesthetics. Right. Yeah, that's great. Well, this has been terrific. Is there anything that I didn't get to that you want to talk about? No, I think we covered everything. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not everything, but a lot of good stuff. (laughs) 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 Well, thank you so much. Really, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Once
1: again, another terrific guest. I hope you liked it too. And we'll share it with all your favorite women and sporty friends. So many of the words from these women are not only for athletes. Head to the show notes at hearhersports.com. For links to Lindsay Vaughn's documentary, Whoop, and Doug Mara's meditation app. It is always terrific to hear from you guys, so send an email to Elizabeth at HearHersports.com or call our hotline at 725 B Badass. That's 725 222 3277. Our stellar design is by Agnes Studio and music by the band Goldmines. Until next time, bye bye.
0: My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it
1: out.